Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce and today I'm sharing the mic with Ashton Rodenheiser. And Ashton's a creative entrepreneur passionate about spreading the concept that drawing can be used as a thinking tool. And so for the past seven years, Ashton has been helping people communicate their ideas and combined with creativity, founding Minds Eye Creative Consulting. So this is super exciting to have you here, Ashton. I think we had a great conversation when we first met and I'm just so glad to have you on the show to share more about your story. You are so sweet. Thank you so much, Nikki, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I I think that one of the things that was so interesting when we first spoke is that I had never really considered the nature of what you're doing as something, you know, really targeted and specific um, around the way we operate personally and professionally. And so I think a lot of people probably have seen um the type of work that you do, but might not necessarily understand it. So could you share a little bit about just from the get go, um, Mm. what it is that you do, and um, how you kind of ultimately ended up in the position that you're in now? Yeah, if we could, I could spend an hour just answering that one question. But <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. There you go. Just one question. And then there's Ashton rambling for a whole hour. Yeah. So uh, oftentimes, you know, when people say, what's your elevator pitch? If I only have 10 seconds with someone, I say, you know, those times when you've been in a meeting and it's been so boring. Yeah. I try to make those meetings a little less boring. Yes. So it's a winning all, elevator pitch. <laughs> it is. It's all right. It's all right. Everybody can relate to being in a meeting that, and they think to themselves, this could have been an email. Yeah. So when I'm in meetings or strategic planning type meetings or sessions or conferences, I'm literally there listening, trying to make sense of everything that I'm hearing and drawing it using a combination of words and images and vid- visuals and graphics. So when I do that in person, I'm literally there with paper markers, which is so fun. And with COVID, like a lot of folks had to change things up and I do a lot online now. So I just did one this morning. The guy spoke for an hour and as that hour progressed, I'm drawing out those main themes and ideas and then have a visual representation of that information that just flew out of that meeting. So, yeah. That's awesome. And I apologize for my dog barking in the background there. (laughs) Keep him in. Keep him in. He wants to be a part of it. So one of the things that I'm curious about when it comes to, it's referred to as sketch noting. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's so many, you know, we all have our funny little industry terms that we use, right? And people are like, what the heck do all these words mean? So oftentimes when I talk about graphic recording, I talk, it's like more of a conference space where Mm -hmm. there's a speaker and there's a, there's information. And then there's a graphic graphic facilitation is more of those facilitated type sessions where there's multiple voices in a room that are contributing to whatever it is that I'm creating. 
usually I'm a little bit more involved. Not always, but usually I have more of a voice. I I can ask questions. I can add clarification and I can be a part of it a bit more. And then sketch noting is a commonly used term that is for more personal note taking. So okay. they are all use the same sort of skill set, but at its core, at its core, it's the same skill set. Skill set, but sketch noting is more of that personal note taking. So okay. you're listening and thinking, but more so for yourself rather than for others. So okay, thank you for clarifying that, so I can refer to it correctly <laughs> through the remainder of the episode. So, yeah. as a graphic facilitator, how did you first even learn about it? Like, was this something that you were sort of inherently doing, and then trying to figure out how you could apply that, or was it more something that you had learned about and then wanted to become more engaged in doing? Yeah, great question. So i I really struggled as a teenager trying to figure out what you're gonna quote unquote be for the rest of your life. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I struggling felt with that. <laughs> I I experienced an immense amount of pressure, and I was very smart. Like, I had very top grades. Like, I probably could have gotten to pretty some pretty decent universities. But I wasn't going to go and spend a bunch of money that I didn't have to go to university to get a piece of paper that I didn't know what I would do with. So I wrestled with what it is that I was going to do after high school. I decided to enroll in a local community college. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of flack for that. And I even had people say to me, oh, you're so smart for someone who goes to community college. It was like, I hope the stigma isn't as bad as it used to be, but it was, there was quite a stigma for folks that went to community college, weren't the brightest in the bunch. And I I thought I was pretty smart for going to community college because I knew that I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. So why would I go and spend 10 times the amount of money? money? (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot more people probably should have done it. In fact, (laughs) because it's like the people I think about like that transferred out of university to go somewhere else or ultimately stop going altogether. It's like, if you don't know, don't invest. And I think that was one of the things that to your point, the stigma sort of drove people to maybe be in positions that weren't right for them because the idea was that this is what you should do. Exactly. And that's a lot, a lot of the pushback that I had gotten at that point in my life. And um, actually just had a conversation with my dad about this like last week when the power went out, we went over there and we were hanging out. I was like, yeah. So when I was a teenager, <laughs> this was something that I didn't really like or appreciate. And he, I think he felt bad, but. Oh, I know. think it's good to have those conversations <laughs> with our parents though. It's, it's empowering um, to be able to feel the confidence in who you are now as an adult to be able to bring those conversations up with your parents. It's hard. I think it's still uncomfortable because they're your parent Mm -hmm. and you're still like, Ooh, how are you going to react to this? But at the same time, I think it's fair to speak your truth and to allow them to hear that and have their response to it. Yeah, exactly. And I think when he was sort of like, Oh, I didn't, if I ever made you feel that way, I didn't mean to. And I'm like, Oh, that's nice. But yeah, (laughs) it happened. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm over it in the sense of like, I don't have an emotional attachment to it like I used to. And I I used to be really embarrassed about sharing my journey with people because I didn't think they would think I was as smart as they thought I was. Um, or they wouldn't take me seriously or they wouldn't think, oh, well, she does this interesting line of work, but 
actually has no formal education around it, you know, but the amount of people that have asked me when I'm at an event, what's your formal education? Like maybe one in like 10 years, like one person I think has asked me. Because it's just not as relevant anymore. I think, you know, it's funny because the amount of times, like when I first graduated school, so like I went for filmmaking and I spent zero percent of my career in filmmaking. Like I fell ass backwards into tech and you'll hear me say that time and time again. And it's like, at the end of the day, the experience that you gain through whatever means you have to gain it, I think is more valuable than the types of education that are more traditional with the exception of some very specific roles, such as, you know, medical professionals and things like that. We're like, I would like for you to have the appropriate trainings and certifications. Probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. But I, (laughs) but I hear what you're saying. And I think that that's why a lot of businesses now aren't as focused on people having, you know, a traditional degree and they want to give people more flexibility because they understand that, especially with the internet being what it is, that people are empowered to learn in different ways, which is a big part of what you're doing. Absolutely. I I just had this sense that I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't really have any desire to do like medical or anything like that. I was like, how am I going to help people? Like in my little teenage brain, I didn't know what the world was going to be like when I got out there. It was very limited in my view of like, well, if you want to help people, you have to be like a doctor or a nurse or something medical. And, you know, when I found this field, I was like, oh my gosh, I can like help people. I can help people like learn and understand stuff. And, you know, in my, in this own really like unique and also very creative way. And I think I wanted to be an artist, but it wasn't even on the table because it wasn't even a conversation in my family and in community because you'd sit around at a holiday and people would gossip and the gossip would be, oh, those kids that went to art school, they're not going to have a job when they get out. They're not going to make any money. Right. And that's how we equate success is like, how much money are you going to make or what's your job going to be? So it wasn't even an option. I I think if I would have been supported a bit more, maybe I would have considered, I don't know if I would have ended up going, but I would have considered it at least going to art school but it wasn't even a consideration because of all the negative rhetoric and and narrative in my you know community and circle and family and i thought at one point maybe i'd want to be a teacher and it was i graduated from high school around the time that the recession was happening and, yeah, I graduated from college at that point. So I feel you on the like, a couple what years the ahead of me. Yeah, a couple years ahead of me. So I, I, it was a big deciding factor also of, you know, a lot of teachers were graduating from university and there were no jobs at the time. Right. So I was like, well, you know, logical thinking, why would I go and be a teacher if I'm not going to have a job? That makes sense have- to me. I appreciate your pragmatism throughout this entire journey because I, I I felt very much the same way. That's how I ended up in tech. I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to go out and try to make a film career when like nobody's hiring anybody for anything. So yeah. how do you how do you adjust and figure out what your skill set can serve? And I had a very unpopular um, path. I, I wanted to pursue a very unpopular path, which was being a mother. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up and it wasn't looked upon very favorably. Like people would be like, that's it? Like, you don't want to have a job? 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I think being a mom would be pretty dope. I think it'd be pretty awesome. I think I'd be pretty good at it. <laughs> and I remember being 19 years old and thinking to myself, if I had a baby right now, I'd be very happy. Um, that is very different experience for the two of us. <laughs> I am not advocating for teenage pregnancy. I am not advocating for that. Please let the record be known. But I knew that was something. I, I've, I'm, I'm very nurturing. I, I'd always worked with kids. Kids were like I was at. I did the day camp. I did, I did the babysitting. I did all of the things. Like all of my experience was working with kids up until that point. So that's what I decided to take when I went to community college was early childhood because I was like, well, I will use this skill at some point when hopefully I have children. Anyways, I do have kids now in case anyone was wondering, I have three, no more. Three is good. Three between the ages of five and 10. And they are lovely human beings are my favorite people in the world. Um, But I'm going to get back on path here. So I started in that field and I actually got a sweet job at a nonprofit family center. And at that job, the last few years I was there, I started working as a facilitator. So I moved up a little bit and I, I was 21 years old, 20, 21 years old teaching parenting programs. <laughs> And I didn't have kids at the time. I thought it was so funny. Uh, but, you know, it kind of, it, it came less on what I knew in trying to pull the information from the parents that were in the room and feeding it back to them. So I'm like, you know, this stuff, let's just, I'm just going to take what you're, what you're experiencing, put a, put a question around it, feed it back to you. And you're having your own learning. So it's not about what I know necessarily, you know, we could throw in a few little tips and tricks and things here and there, yeah. but is really about helping them harness their own intuition, their own wisdom. And I really fell in love with group process and, and how to ask those questions and how to create safe spaces. And I thought at the time, you know, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but facilitation is way better because right. you're not the know-it-all, I know everything, now I'm going to impart this wisdom onto you and you better learn it and then tell show me that you've learned it. Facilitation is just such a nice organic way of helping people navigate their own, their own information and their own thoughts. And I did that for a number of years and then just kind of randomly a facilitator friend of mine told me about this one day graphic facilitation workshop. And I was like, what is that? I had no idea. Took that one day workshop and I was like, this is it. This is it. Like I can take this world of facilitation to help people learn and engage and and to with their own information. And this creative sort of, I want to be a secretly wanting to be an artist when I grew up kind of world and putting those together. And honestly, I, I started dabbling with it for those first few months and I was like, this is it. And that was 10 years ago. Wow. So I sort of decided to kind of leave facilitation by the wayside because I wanted to learn how to do the graphic aspect of it so well. I, I knew I couldn't kind of be in both worlds. I knew I had to really, if I wanted to do it really well, I have to do it. I have to dedicate time and energy to just do it well. And even though I've always been very creative, I'm kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to art. And I didn't actually draw a whole lot. So I actually had to learn more of the drawing aspect of it 
where I had already kind of started to develop as a facilitator, the listening and the thinking and the synthesizing of that information and feeding it back. I had those skills like fairly developed, but it was the drawing skills I had to develop, uh, go kind of going into it. So I really decided to do it. And by default, no one hires graphic facilitators. No one's hiring like in-house. So I had to be like, oh, I guess I'm, I guess I have to be a business owner now. Yeah. (laughs) I guess I have to run my own business. Like, I guess this is a thing that I have to do. And lucky for me, I didn't realize it at the time. um, And I was like my kind of mid to late twenties at that point that I did have very entrepreneurial tendencies throughout my life. I just didn't call them entrepreneur um, stuff. And so, yeah, like the sort of the nuance of being an entrepreneur just actually kind of came more naturally to me than I more than I thought it would at the time. Well, that's what I, I was just, just thinking. Had, yeah. I had to get over myself a lot of it. I had to like do a lot of work on how I think about the world and, and stuff. But other than that big old thing, yeah, <laughs> you know, that just, you know, gigantic thing about how we think about the world and ourselves. Uh, once I kind of got over myself a little bit and that took several years, um, I've been kind of in a decent flow and, and I, even when the pandemic hit and I had to take my business and totally flip it around, I was like, I'm not going to let this little thing called pandemic slow me down. <laughs> it honestly, like, did it I'm going like to figure it... this out. Like I'm going to have to figure this out. Like I'm not, like I've worked so hard to get to this point that I, I need to just figure it out and do it already. So yeah. Did you feel yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Did you feel like with the pandemic, because I feel like going online for a lot of people, um, obviously it changes the dynamic of the business structure in a lot of ways. Um, And because you were doing a lot of work in person at events and presentations and things like that, um, those, those events were now becoming virtual. Yeah. It seems to me as an objective observer of that Mm -hmm. circumstance sort of changing that there may have been somewhat of an organic transition there um, because you're still required to be there. You can still sort of take that role as I think in our last uh, discussion, you had made the comment about sort of being a fly on the wall and and Mm -hmm. witnessing it. So how did you feel that transition affected your ability to do the work that you're doing from being in person to being virtual? Because I think not being in your role, it seems like that, I don't want to say it would be easy because I don't know nearly enough to have that thought, (laughs) but, but it seems like there would maybe be fewer barriers as opposed to some other business models that really were just uprooted by the pandemic entirely. Yeah, it definitely for, for, it was more, honestly, it was more easy to connect with people who hadn't worked with me in person Mm. to talk to them about doing it online. Whereas there's a, there's just something special about being in person, right? Cause yeah. you've got a giant paper, you got markers. It's like, there's the texture, there's the tactileness that you miss when you're online. Yeah. And, and the people that I'd worked with in person, they were spoiled to that in a good way, right? In a good way. So it was more about kind of talking with new folks who had almost maybe they seen it, but not really at events or things. Mm-hmm. They were like the easiest ones to have conversations with, to be honest with you, which kind they didn't of had the same expectation because they didn't have the same expectation. They're like, well, if she can't be in person, then we don't want her, you know? Yeah. Whereas it actually 
lend itself to a kind of beautiful transition amongst the chaos because it made apparent the new folks that I was working with the accessibility aspect of like, you know, you're expecting people to fly all over the world in different from different socioeconomic backgrounds, probably like the people who really should be in the room probably can't get in the room. And now you are opening up in a virtual space. So someone in the middle of some African country or India or Australia, like anywhere in the world can tune in to this very important information that they need to have. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they're not missing out. Like it, it made it more of a, just more generally accessible information, more generally accessible. And then to be able to add what I do on top of it can just take that information and solidify it for them, solidify, deepen, add clarity and context to what it is that they are learning. So I was able to kind of talk, like once I started doing a first few, I was like, this is actually really an amazing opportunity for the people that are attending virtually. It gives them something else it helps deepen their learning, yes, but also gives them something else to help them stay engaged. Whereas yeah. we have such a high expectation on people. You sit there for eight hours on your computer looking at this screen and you better pay attention to every word that's being said, you know, from like even someone who's not neurodiverse, let's say that's hard for just anybody, yeah. let alone folks that may struggle with an extra learning challenge, right? I mean, I'm, I was diagnosed ADHD a couple of years ago and something that really stood out to me when we first spoke, Ashton, was the accessibility factor, not of the physical accessibility, but the actual mental accessibility that comes yeah. with the work that you do. Because growing up, I couldn't, I was so bad at note-taking yeah. because I couldn't focus on what was being said and also take notes. It was like, if I'm not writing them verbatim, then I'm not hearing what they're saying, but I can't write them verbatim. So how do I do this? And I would just sit and listen and I would doodle while I was listening. Unfortunately, not anything useful that would help me remember (laughs) my notes, if only. Um, But, you know, I think it speaks a lot to the value of what you're doing in terms of the ways that people learn differently too. And yeah. And and especially as adults, because so many of us lived our lives without understanding that the way we consume and retain information might differ from those around us. Like what a beautiful way to bring forward this um, opportunity for people to rethink how they, how they learn. Exactly. Yeah. And we, we all have our preferences, like, even though technically learning styles are debunked technically by whoever debunked it, I don't know. <laughs> I should probably look into it. Yeah, I'm like, apparently it's not a thing. Who knows? But it re- still resonates with people. Like people, I, I always give it the example of YouTube. YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world for a reason, mm-hmm. right? People want to see, they want to look. Like I would rather go and watch someone make chicken pot pie then try to read how to make chicken pot pie yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. like show me how to make it for goodness sakes i don't want to read it mm-hmm. you know and and with the nature of my work i wouldn't say that i'm naturally a learn auditory mm-hmm. but by osmosis i guess at this point or whatever the word would be i it has become my primary kind of learning 
style, I guess. Like, obviously I'm still very visual, but you know, I, I would rather listen to something and comprehend it rather than read an article about it. Well, it's interesting um, too, because something that you said earlier that I wanted to tap into was the way that the work that you do requires you to synthesize the information. And so what you're saying about like that auditory processing and then translating that into something visual, I think right. is important to acknowledge because it's, it's sort of like, how are you initially gathering that information? And then what can you do with that information now that you have it? And I also just have to say, I really admire the fact that you can do what you do because I can't fathom being in an environment where it's like this presentation is being given and you need to be consumed excuse me, consuming, absorbing, and translating this really kind of in one fell swoop to be yeah. able to then provide that to other people as a, a teaching aid effectively. Like yeah. I just, it's it blows exhausting. me away. <laughs> yeah. Do you need it's a nap very, after this? <laughs> oh my gosh. When I do like an all, I did an all day event just a few days ago. And at the end of it, like I'm in bed three hours early. Like it's very, very exhausting work. Cause you cannot let your, if you're in in the audience, you can, you can let yourself be distracted as much as you want. Or like that lady up there is doing the work that I'll need later. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And you know, the, the feedback that I get from people, I would say it's very good for my ego, just like my ego is just swelling every single time I do something, but it's the feedback that I get from people and, and they're expressing their gratitude and how it's helping them learn, you know, that that's what kind of at the end of the day, really sold me on it in the first place was not even, not even the accolades of like, Oh, it looks nice. Like that to me is, doesn't even really matter at the end of the day, but if it helped you learn and engage in the moment and kind of help continue on that learning, then that's a win, no matter how beautiful or messy it really is at the end of the day. You know, I do teach the aesthetics of it because people want it to look nice, but sometimes the more messy of a drawing it is, it's the process to get there that might be just as impactful. Yeah. It's the function. Yeah. That's really, so that actually leads me to a question that I was thinking about when you were speaking of of having three children and their (laughs) ages, you said five to 10. So do you use um, the type of work that you do in your daily life with your family as well? We're a pretty artsy family. We are pretty artsy. Um, My oldest I would say the next year or so, I would Mm -hmm. say she could probably start learning like actual sketch noting techniques and Mm -hmm. things. Um, But up until this point, yeah, we we always have, we're always creative. Like we have like a whole drawer in our, we call it the stove room. Our wood stove has this weird room. And then we have, don't ask. Is it an older house? I feel like. It's an old farmhouse. When you said a stove room, I was like picturing my friend's farmhouse. So it was like, I know. It's an old farmhouse. So you can picture it. And we've got this like Ikea drawer thing. And it's just all the art stuff is in there. And they know that they can go in there at any point in time and take stuff out and, you know, put things back. And, you know, once every few months, we have to kind of like totally declutter it because it gets all piled up with stuff. But and you know, artwork isn't precious in our house. They know it's probably going to go in the garbage. I actually keep very little of it around because what do you need it for? Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, something will go in the fridge for a couple of weeks and then I'll trash it. Like, yeah. Express yourself when you need to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I did this beautiful little thing with my, my five-year-old a, a few months back and she, 
she wanted me to copy her, right? So she was drawing and so she would draw a line then I would copy and then she was turning it into these like little characters. So I just sort of, I don't do a whole lot of teaching. You know, I just provide the materials, might give them a few little tips and tricks, but it's really just kind of letting them kind of do their thing at this point. And like, as if you ask kids, like I asked my son not that long ago, I'm like, would you call yourself an artist? And he's like, yeah, of course. Like, what a silly question, mom. (laughs) What a silly question, (laughs) right? If you ask a lot of young kids, are you an artist? They're like, yeah, duh. But at some point, a lot of kids lose that, right? They're something gets said to them that tells them either they're not creative or they're not an artist or what have you. And, and then all those little kids grow up to be adults. And now we have a society full of adults who are like, I'm not creative. And I'm like, yes, you are. Oh gosh. Everybody is, everybody is in their own unique way. It might not be art in in the traditional sense. You know, you might be really creative with words or making people laugh you know, or like maybe you're the one that lays awake at night with all these wild ideas that you can take to your meeting the next day. Like we're all very creative in our own ways. And I think we, we go creativity equals art. I can't do art. I can't draw. And I'm like, no, that's not the case. I love that. That's such a great message, Ashton. And I'd like to actually lean into that a little bit because I think that you're hitting the nail on the head with that sort of loss of um, almost playfulness that leads to creativity. We we yeah. sort of stifle ourselves as adults because we see it as this is the thing that we need to do to ha- reach this goal that we've been told by society that we have to achieve, right? And so yeah. going back to what you said about like, what is success? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, we're at a turning point where people are having the opportunity to lean more into their creative desires and whatever that looks like. I did an episode a few weeks ago with a guest um, that'll be out soon uh, who really connects through poetry and sees that mm. as a way for people to you know, emote and share with each other. And I, growing up, I wrote poetry all the time. And I feel like as I got older, I just kind of walked away from it. Part of that was I felt like unrequited love in my teenage years was a driving factor in the creative uh, musing. And teenage angst too. I'm like, what do I, I, it's hard to write a a poem about your like corporate job that you're miserable at. You're like, I don't know. It doesn't seem right. Um, I'm going to expect that when you do a follow-up with me, I want to see that poem. I kind of feel like I said that and I was like, maybe I'll do that. Yeah, you should, you should. (laughs) Um, But, you know, in speaking to her just on our intro call, I walked away and I was like really inspired to write something again. And Mm. so I wrote these two very brief poems, but it felt so nice to connect with that part of me again. And something that my therapist has said to me over the years is just how important the aspect of play is. And I see creativity as an aspect of play. And so I'm curious from your side, do you feel like that's part of what we need to re-engage within ourselves and, and sort of allow ourselves to your point to separate creativity? excuse me, creativity from just the idea of what art is, because art is many things and also creativity is many things. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, You know, yes to all of those things. And we do need to redefine for ourselves and get back, redefine what creativity is and get back to the power of play. And, you know, maybe we need to almost come up with a new word. Maybe we can create a new word that is like playful, playful adults. Like, because we, when we see, it shouldn't, it almost shouldn't be what I do novel in a way, I, you know, obviously I'm super biased, but the fact that there's someone in a room trying to visualize something in a creative way, like that should just be normal in meetings, mm-hmm. right? Like in workplaces that we have these different creative outlets for things. Like I was at a thing back in the the spring and it was an indigenous conversation and they had a, a man there an an expert basket weaver and he was making a basket during the two days and then at the end he showed this basket and why he made the choices he did based on what he heard like who That's would amazing. even think of that as like a thing to incorporate into an event right and you know it's obviously very important to their culture which you know makes sense for them but like us outsiders quote unquote wouldn't be like what what do you mean like make a basket based on how you feel about something in in this space and you know I think we for some reason just limit ourselves to for sure what we define as creativity like I used to run and I ran it started and ran it for seven years maybe we'll come back I don't know an art at night festival and in my very small town of 8,000 people and I would like double the population of the town, like a three hour period. And we would host creative projects from local artists. And my reason for putting that together was to try to like widen people's perspective on what art is, right? That. Art can be absolutely anything. And I, I think it's unfortunate that we limit ourselves to what would be seen in a more traditional sense of you go to an art gallery and you see a sculpture, you see a painting mm-hmm. or you see a weird installation that you're like, I don't know what that yes. is. <laughs> and then you feel dumb because you don't get it. And then people go, I don't get art. I'm not artsy. I'm not creative. Cause, and I don't get it. Like there's this awesome documentary. Let's see if I can remember the name of it. Uh, there's an artist from Brazil. He went off in the world, you know, kind of made a name for himself and went back and made art with some of the people who lived in the the dump. I don't know what else you'd call it, the the garbage. Yeah. You know. And they were making these gigantic portraits out of garbage. And I remember one of the guys said something like, um, I just don't, I don't like art. I don't get it. Like I don't get it. I don't like it. It's not he my was one not of the people thing. doing that. And he was one of the people that was helping him, right? They actually made like a huge art piece out of garbage of of him. And the artist said to him, so do you, do you not like things that you don't understand? Like you, if you don't understand it, you just, uh, your automatic default is that you don't like it. And that really stayed with me. and, And still obviously to this day stays with me is like, if we don't understand something, then our default is that we don't like it right? We don't like what we don't understand. And isn't that like a foundation for like almost everything in life? Yeah. <laughs> let alone, oh man, it just hits so art, deep. Like let alone art and creativity, you know, yeah. like put the art and creativity on top of it. And that's just like the cherry It's like, well, I don't get that weird installation at that art gallery. Like, 
And if we don't get it, then we feel stupid and we don't like feeling stupid. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Well, yeah, because to your point, it really ties into just the whole concept of human connection and belonging, which is so at the root of this show, which is like, if we don't understand it, then we feel like we're not part of it, which means we don't belong, which means we're not accepted. And it feels like just the sort of connection between all of those bits and pieces happens in these seemingly little ways, but it builds up and it creates distance between ourselves and each other, ourselves and ourselves. Um, And the things that we might want to do that we won't pursue because we've convinced ourselves or allowed other people or messaging to convince us that like we can't do it or we shouldn't do it. When in reality, the people who have so many artists who of varieties of mediums who have become so well-known it's a product of doing something that nobody's ever done before or doing things that people would condemn or look at and say, I don't get it. Or why would you do that? Or it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, how do you get to a place where there's comfort in the unknown as opposed to a condemnation of some sort? And people don't even want to try because they, it won't be as good as what they see in front of them. Right. And like, that's one thing I'm trying to kind of combat right now is like, you can sketch note. It's not that hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're like, but I can't draw. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I can teach you how to draw in 15 minutes. Like just give me 15 minutes of your time and I can teach you. Sold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. I can teach you 15 minutes. Um, but I recently read something from uh, Find Your Creative, Find Your Artistic Voice by Lisa Condon. Let's see if I got that right. Put in the show notes. I will. I'll Google it. <laughs> yeah, let's see if I got that right. I'll remember the documentary name too. Um, and she talks about the beginner gap. And I wish I would have put this in my book because it would have been like this beautiful, like beginning part of my book because it's the beginner's guide to sketch noting. And it's the beginner's gap is where your skill level is and where you want to be. And there's a huge gap in there, right? So when you start something new, one, you might not even start it because, well, like, why do I even bother trying? Because it's not going to look like what I actually want it to look like. But what happens is either people, they don't start or they start and then it doesn't match, like it matches reality and not a, like what the desired outcome. To, the desire, yes, exactly. And then people give up, right? And I feel like I don't want to say I'm not special, but I'm not special in the sense of like I wasn't the like I wasn't the greatest artist in the world, and I definitely am not one of the best in this field when it comes to the visual aspect of it and how it looks. But I think I just, I'm pretty ten- tenacious and I don't like giving up when I just set my mind to something. So I just worked incredibly hard to close that gap as quickly as possible. Cause I'm like, I want it to look real nice. So I better just like draw so much that I get sick of it to get to this point where I'm closing that gap as much as you can. And I think that's with all of the yuckiness surrounding like, oh, I'm not creative or oh, I'm not an artist or oh, I'm not this. People don't even bother trying or they give up before they are able to close that gap. And sometimes that gap takes a week, a month, 10 years, 20 years, like we've all heard of those stories of famous comedians and actors who acted and did stand up in in terrible bars for 
10, 20 plus years before they quote unquote made it, right? So they were just in that beginner gap for a long time and they were so flipping dedicated to their craft and trying to do it the best that they possibly could to close that gap as quickly as, as possible. And, you know, there is no time right? It, it might That's hard to hear too, though, right? Like I as know, somebody who wants it, because I feel like I'm in that gap. I feel like there's aspects of my life where I it, honestly having this conversation right now is so important for me, Ash, and I'm glad that we are for so many reasons, selfishly, because <laughs> I have been doing this podcast for four years and For a while, it was very much part-time because that was all I could do with my job. And I'm at this point where I'm like, I really believe in what I'm doing. I've been getting a lot of positive feedback. I feel really connected to my purpose and why I'm doing this. And the thing that I will block myself on is the sort of the, I'm not good enough. I don't know how to get this to the next level. Not that I'm not capable of doing it. I can have the conversations all day long. What I worry is that I can't figure out the right way to create the content in a way that's compelling for the various formats that require, you know, that extra attention to drive people into a full episode. And it's like yesterday, I actually was working on a promo for an upcoming episode and doing something a little bit different, a little bit more creative and thinking, okay, like this is what I want to do. I just need to dedicate the time to learning or relearning things that I may have forgotten over the years um, and bring it back in and come to that place where it's like, it feels playful. It feels exciting. I'm learning something new and Mm -hmm. I'm coming to this place of, oh, if I can just do this, then I can take it to the next level and I can do that. And you start to build on Mm -hmm. it and you see those little successes and then you start to feel that confidence growing. And to your point, you're feeling that gap close, right? And so I understand so deeply what that feels like and what that looks like and also where that tipping point starts to happen where you're like oh no like there is a result here at the end of it and I'm seeing it but you have to have that unrivaled commitment that you're talking about and I really admire the way that you show up with that in both the work that you're doing but also the way you speak about the work that you're doing. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know that you're in the tipping point when you're in it. And that's the problem too, right? Like it's beautiful that you were able to recognize that, but it's like, you can't see the compounding effect when you're in it. It's such a hard one. It's so hard because you think you're just in the beginning stage of that beginner gap, but you're so much for like, most of us are way further along than we actually think we are. Mm -hmm. And I was struggling with, with this kind of thing the other week. And um, I had a guy tell me, he said, okay, Ashton, you need to sit down and you need to write out a list of everything that you've accomplished in the last 12 months. And I'm like, oh, I know what I, I should do that because we are so hard on ourselves with this weird relationship with time. But if you actually wrote down all the things that you have done in the last 12 months, you'd be like, whoa, I've done a lot in a year. Like I actually got a lot done. And if it wasn't a lot when it comes to output, maybe you like did a lot of work on yourself and you can see the growth that you made just in your own thinking about the world or your own stuff that you've had to work through. Like, you know, whatever that productivity looks like for yourself, it doesn't have to be actual things that you've created or put into the world. But 
you know, we, we have the, there's another good book. I'm just throwing out lots of resources. Please today. do by all um, means. There's a book I'm just finishing up. It's a good one called 4,000 weeks. So this it's a kind it's not, it's not time management in the traditional sense, but he kind of talks about this construct of time and how, how we have this really weird relationship with time. And yeah, so it's, um, it's a good one, but basically it's 4,000 weeks. If you live to be 80, that's how many weeks you would live. And now every time a week goes by, I'm like, Oh, another week. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> it like puts a little pressure on, but at the same time, like t- time is finite. We are limited. Right. And yeah. who knows, like maybe we won't make it till we're 80. Like I've said, like, oh, I'll be lucky if we make it to like 65 or 70 <laughs> these days with all like stuff that's happening in the world. Right. But if the world know, will make it, <laughs> the world will make it. And that's true. I was at a climate change uh, event working this weekend. So yeah, who knows? Um, I digress, but you know, we do have this weird relationship with time and we expect so much from ourselves. And if you're anything like me, like hashtag high achiever, you know, we just put so much extra pressure on ourselves to try to accomplish so much in such a short amount of time. And one thing that I'm trying to personally learn for myself is to try to get out of the productivity race and be like, it's okay for me just like sit in silence for five minutes or like take my dog for a walk. Like I don't need to be at my computer. Like the world's not going to like fall apart if I don't do that one edit on a graphic in the right. next three hours. Like it doesn't really matter. And I also don't want to work with clients that are going to be so consumed with my work that they're like freaking out if they don't get that edit, like until the next day or something right. like I want to be able to work with people that are like more free and easygoing and appreciate that, you know, I need to be very creative in my work. And if I'm not in a creative flow, like they're not going to get anything good for me anyways. So Mm. I need to be in a space where I give myself permission to chill out for a minute and just go walk in nature and go play with my kids for a little while or what have you like. I don't want to be, you know, staying up until midnight trying to like work on stuff because they're not going to, my clients aren't going to get the best out of me anyways, if I'm in a space like that. So I feel like I've, I've done the like quote unquote hustle enough that I'm just like sick of it. Yeah. <laughs> like I need to just chill a little bit, like chilling. Like I heard this thing at a conference a while back, like rest is resistance. Oh, right. Interesting. Like, you know, like resting is actually a form of uh not boycotting, but like, you know, saying to the world, like, Hey, I don't have to always be productive here. People, you know, or rest um, can be productive, right? Cause it's rejuvenating. Yeah, exactly. 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 And I, I kind of think a lot about this term called internalized capitalism about how we take on productivity as like part of our identity. Uh, yeah. Right. So how can you kind of like also separate there's productive Ashton doing her thing and getting stuff done, which is like great. And that's awesome. Cause you can't just like chill out all day long. Like, right. you, know, get the, you know, you know, and I pride myself on productivity and getting stuff done and I like working and I love my business and I love what I get to do, but I also need to be in a space of like resting is okay. You know, I don't have to be productive 24 seven. Yeah. And I don't need to take on productivity as like my main personality trait. Like that doesn't yeah. 
like my husband always jokes about stuff. He's like, they're not going to say on your tombstone. Oh, she was real productive in 2023. <laughs> she got a lot of stuff done. <laughs> oh, you know, I, my, <laughs> it's funny because my mom, um, when I lost my job in 2016, I, I was fired and I had this moment of like, just what, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And yeah. I decided to take like a two week road trip from like the Philadelphia area down to Florida by myself, visit some friends along the way and come back. And, um, I remember kind of feeling guilty about that. Like I should just be mm. trying to get another job. And my mom and one of my best friends both said the same thing to me, like fight every urge you have right now to do the thing that you think you should do. And like, let yourself decide what's right for you. Right. And I remember my mom saying something very similar to me, like, at the yeah. end of the day, like you're not going to wish you worked more. And so yeah. Yeah. I think that giving yourself space and listening to what your body and your mind are telling you, because last night, as an example, I was laying in bed thinking about this video that I was working on. And I'm also simultaneously trying to listen to this meditation to fall asleep. And it's like <laughs> basically telling me, like, let go of all the things that are in your head. And I'm like, I need to... I need to, first of all, probably listen to something without words so I can just yeah. let myself decompress because it was like, as I was listening to something, I'm also thinking, okay, this part of my brain's remaining active and it's keeping me focused on the other things that I have to do. And I'm just not Ooh. finding that peace that I need. And so it was that recognition of, I need rest. I'm not going to give myself rest if I continue to think like this. And yeah. like having those moments where you can recognize, like, I'm going to allow myself to stop right now. And mm. I can pick this up tomorrow or the next day, but we are a bit unforgiving with ourselves sometimes Oh yeah, when absolutely. we feel that need. Yeah, absolutely. We can definitely be like, we're, we're the hardest on ourselves for sure. And it, you know, it, it sounds kind of funny that you have to say like, I am going to put this down and pick it up tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. but you have to kind of speak to yourself like that sometimes, because I feel like for years, I would just keep doing stuff. And I wasn't having that self-reflection of being like, I don't have to do this right this second. Does yes. it have to be done right this second? Like, can it wait when I have more space and creativity and energy to do this? Like maybe it would be best if I waited until tomorrow morning after I have a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, you? yeah. Instead of at like 11 o'clock at night when I'm feeling all the feelings, you know? And I think that's also a product of being in a lot of work environments where it is like, get this done yesterday. Meanwhile, hurry up and wait. And yeah, it's not functional for the long term or sustainable, I should say. And one of the things that I think is really cool about what you're doing with the way that the work that you create embeds itself in how we function as uh, as on a corporate level or just on a business personal level is that you're the idea of graphic facilitation. And then also sketch noting is like, my feeling is, is that it sort of forces you to be present because mm -hmm. it's very yeah. much like critical to be in that mind space, to be able to deliver the value that's required, whether you're doing that for somebody else or you're taking your own notes and you're trying to figure out how you'll be able to apply that later. Do you feel like doing the work that um, you've done and with the business that you've created with Mind's Eye that that has given you a sense of like being more present in the way that you're working compared to other roles that you've had? Well, yeah, I would, I would definitely say that for sure. And, you know, 
I don't know why this example came up for me. I don't know if it really relates to anything you just said, but I'm going to say it anyways. Go for it. it. I was in a session. This was years and years ago. It was one of my, my early days. And I was doing a session where we were getting feedback from employees to try to like get a vibe of the company culture. And the a man came up to me and he said, he was like well beyond retirement age, just, just saying. And he said, I've been working here for 40 years and no one has ever asked me how I feel before. And that has always stuck with me to this day as it, it's not about like, let's bring an Ashton so she can draw a pretty picture for everybody. You know, sometimes you're giving voice to people that have, don't have one and making sure that they feel seen and heard. And that is like, like, I really hold those situations with such a balance and such grace and honor because yeah, I'm I'm hired to do a thing, but a lot of times they're getting something way beyond what they think they're actually hiring me for. Yeah. How do you describe the value to someone who's considering hiring you for this? I don't know. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's it's the intangibles, it's how you make people feel. It is that belonging piece that you talked about. And it's it is this this space where you have to be creative and also be holding people's thoughts and feelings. And some like that, that is an incredible honor, but also very scary. It's sometimes. a big responsibility. Yeah, it is a big responsibility. And I don't think people realize that a lot yeah. of times too. Yeah. I love that you shared that. And I feel like it does answer the question that I was driving towards anyway, whether <laughs> it was the one that I asked or not, um, because people do need that reassurance and comfort in the places that we go where we often feel drained or um, just having been in the corporate space for so long, sometimes it can feel like you don't have the space to only like show up and let me rephrase that. You're expected to show up and deliver the way that they want it done. And so when you're not able to express how you feel about something, because it's like, this is just the way it's done, just get it done. Yeah it can be really challenging to your sense of self as well. And what I hear is that you're also giving people an opportunity to show up and speak their minds and show up in a way that gives them a bit more freedom than maybe they would have had before. And to be able to then communicate that in a way that translates back to the business in a more meaningful way and hopefully helps those businesses Mm -hmm. grow and give their employees more of what they need. Yeah, like at the end of the day, I'm going to say it's like a diamond in the rough, but I, I have, my goal is to find clients and work with people who care, which, you know, you'd hope would just be people. (laughs) You'd you'd hope it would just be like normal. Yeah. Oh, you care. But you know, I can't do what I, I do best and help in the way that I do. If I'm just there to like check a box, like, oh, let's get the artist person to do the cool thing. It's like, that's not why you're bringing me in. Like, I'm not the entertainment. Like, I'm far from the entertainment. Like, yes, it looks cool. Yes, it's visually appealing. Yes, all those things. But that at its core is not why I'm there. So I need to work with people who care about the people they're working with or their audience or their participants. And sometimes you're in those situations that are very uncomfortable and you're going to have to be okay with whatever it is that I draw. Cause that's what they said. Yep. And they might not have said good things and you're going to have to be okay with that. And 
those clients are a little bit harder to come by because yeah. I could probably be way busier and just work with people who just want me to come and draw a pretty picture. Sure. But like that, that, that's not feeding, that's not serving anybody well. Like I might as well not be there, you know, yeah. if I'm just there to be the entertainment. So there is the human element that is really important. And I find they're the best clients to work for anyways, because they get it. They get it yeah. on a different level and they're okay with that uncomfortable or the unknowing. And sometimes when I'm on like calls with people, I'm like, you're just going to have to trust me. Like, I don't know, like, I don't even know you, but you're just going to have to trust that I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm vouched for. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Like I I can only tell you so much. I can only show you so many examples. I can give you some testimonials like, sure, but I've been doing this long enough. I'm uncomfortable. I am actually pretty comfortable in uncomfortable situations and you're going to have to trust me, you know, and thank you to all those people that do trust me at the yeah. end of the day to go in and like create magic with you. But it is, it is harder to find those people. It is definitely yeah. harder to find those people that care about the things that you are promoting on this podcast, like not like going beyond. I used to do, I did this program like long time ago, year, well, 10 years ago, actually around pluralism and going beyond tolerance, right? Like pluralism is around like not just going, oh, you believe that? That's cool. Like, I don't believe it, but like, I don't want to know anything about you. I don't want to learn anything. Like that's what tolerance is. Pluralism goes beyond that. It's like, okay, I might not believe the same thing you do, but like, tell me more. I want to understand. I want to relate to you as a human being. I want to get it. Like, you're not going to like convince me to believe what you believe, but I want to like know more about what it is that you believe. And I really like hold the idea of pluralism pretty close to my heart because at the end of the day, that's where belonging comes in. Oh yeah. Like truly trying to understand someone and not trying to convince them otherwise. Um, Yeah. That's, that's sort of like, part of the foundation of, I feel of like what I do too, is like, you're going beyond just like, here's some information. Now, you know, it mm-hmm. to true understanding in trying to deepen that connection. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I, as we're kind of rounding out here, I feel like that's such a great way to go. What you're speaking to is also really in a lot of ways, I think the origin of empathy Because the more that we can understand each other, the more we can empathize. And to your point, I think, and stated so well, by the way, around, I'm not going to be convinced necessarily, but I want to understand. And I feel that way about a lot of things. And the really big gift of doing this show is how many people I've spoken to and how many different stories there are and the way it's allowed me to enter conversations without judgment, both on the show and away from the mic. And having this desire to feed that part of my soul and my brain and come at these connections with other people from what is our shared human experience and how are we able to communicate with each other in ways that don't separate us further, even if we have different perspectives, because I think that there can still be a lot of unity that comes from those types of discussions, even when you don't have the same uh, perspectives or mindsets around things. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I think that's like where it's such like, and the opposite is true to a divisive culture that we're seeing a lot. Oh my gosh, right? yeah. Like, you know, because people aren't seeking to understand and they're like, nope, that's what I believe. I don't care. I'm going to voice it. You know, like that, that's what creates divisiveness, but true, just like genuine curiosity, like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we could talk about curiosity for another hour, I'm sure. But, you know, that is like also so t- like closely linked, interlinked with creativity. It's curiosity, yeah. being oh, curious. Man. And yeah, I, I will, I'll leave it there, but well, we'll just I, put curiosity into the world. <laughs> yes. Yes. One of my favorite quotes. Um, and it's funny because I always loved Walt Whitman as a poet, but I have also really loved the show Ted Lasso if you've okay. seen it. And so one, it, yeah. okay. Highly recommend, but at <laughs> one point, great things about it. <laughs> um, at one point, Jason Sudeikis, um, has this moment where he's speaking to somebody and says the quote that is, you know, be curious, not judgmental. And I think that that's just such a good way to live. Um, because it gives us space to see people for who they are and then form whatever opinion that we might want to form, um, or potentially just let it be what it is because it's not our job to make somebody else be or think a certain way. Um, and when it comes to creativity, Ashton, and I just love that you said that is, I think a part of why we stop ourselves and we say like, oh, I'm not artistic. Oh, I'm not creative is because we are afraid to pursue that curiosity Because we are worried that, as you said earlier, it will not meet our desired outcome. If I approach this with curiosity and I'm not good at it, then it means that my interpretation is bad or I'm not worthy or whatever it might be. And it's like, get rid of the internalized shame and just get curious. Yeah. Yeah. With no desired specific outcome. Yes. It's hard as hell. I'm not going to act like it's easy. (laughs) I know. Like curiosity for curiosity's sake, creativity for creativity's sake, not, not for something specific at the end of the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Well, thank you so much for your time, Ashton. This has been such a great conversation and I love all of the directions it went, you are absolutely right that we could have many more (laughs) of these conversations. And I hope that we will. Um, in the meantime, People can find your work at mindseyecreative.ca, but is there anywhere else you'd like them to follow you or anywhere else you'd like to point them? Yeah, well, my name is kind of unique, Ashton Rodenizer. So you yes. find me on all the platforms. But if you're curious about this whole sketchnoting thing, I actually have a new site for that sketchnote.school. Sweet. I've got my newsletter on there. I've got my book on there. And uh, I've got an online community where I get to help people. It's so it's been such a, a, a joy so far to do that and host workshops and things in there and just kind of help people close that beginner gap a little bit more by having like a supportive uh, environment and, and a creative space to do so. So yeah, if you're curious, like, ooh, maybe I want to learn how to do that. Or if you know a student or someone, uh, you could direct them to sketchnote.school. So I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of Who the Fuck, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. 
I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.